You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Well, we come to Hosea chapter 3, which really, again, it, it acts as a, a bookend um, a, around chapter 2, that chapters 1 and chapters 3 deal with Hosea and with his relationship to his wife. And chapter 2 stands in the middle uh, where it seems to almost confuse whether we're talking about Hosea or the Lord, but ultimately seeing through this the Lord speaking about both the oncoming judgment and the redemption that will happen. And so we come to chapter 3, which uh, is a very short chapter in Hosea. Uh, So hear these words. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an, an, an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisin. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethek of barley, And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So as we come to chapter 3, this is uh, one of the major divisions in the book of Hosea. Uh, Chapters 1 through 3 are this sign or this picture of the relationship of God to his people through Hosea and his adulterous wife, Gomer. Uh, Chapter 4 through the end will actually be the Lord's uh, lawsuit, covenant lawsuit against his people. And it can seem as if once we transition to chapter 4 that it becomes very hard and and very difficult to hear the ways in which Israel has so uh, disobeyed the Lord. And it just, if you read it, it just seems as if it continues and continues and continues and it continues all the way to chapter 14, which offers a glimmer of hope. But I think we have to see uh, chapters 4 through 13 in the context of what we see here of a, of a God who is certainly just and is certainly punishing his people's sin, but also a God who is deeply merciful. And that mercy really is, is put, the flesh is put on those bones for us to understand what mercy means. It is a God who is long-suffering and a God who is searching, a God who runs after and a God who redeems and who rescues. And so this evening, we'll look at this uh, passage, again, five verses. Uh, We'll look at it to see in verses one through three, which explain the trouble that's happening in Hosea's marriage. In verse four, really, we have an explanation of what this sign means. And in verse five, we have this promise of future restoration. And again, you'll note this theme through these first three chapters, In Hosea chapter 1, there's this judgment against Israel, but then there's a promise of redemption in verses 10 and 11. In chapter 2, the same thing happens. There's judgment against Israel, the first 13 verses, but then redemption is promised in verses 14 through 23. And then again, in chapter 3, there's judgment against Israel, the first four verses, and this is followed by a promise of redemption in verse 5. 
And so we, we start with this trouble that's in Hosea's marriage. And again, you'll note in verse 1 that God commands, just like in verse 2 of chapter 1, God commands Hosea to go off on and, and to do this difficult task. And the question comes, who is the Lord talking about? He's commanding Hosea to go and to love a woman. Is he commanding Hosea to love another woman besides Gomer? Or is he just speaking about him going uh, really to, to, to get Gomer back as his lawfully wedded wife? It is a bit confusing with the words, go again, love a woman who is loved by another. But contextually, the only thing that makes sense is for this to be in reference to Gomer. Because the whole point of Hosea is that God loves one woman. God loves Israel, and she is adulterous, and she is wayward, and she is constantly running away. Here in chapter 3, Hosea is commanded to go and to love a woman who clearly doesn't love him. And this idea of love, one commentator said here, it's not necessarily that, that love uh, in, in that feeling that we get that modern society often uses with love, like puppy dog eyes and, and sweet things that are being said. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with those, but here the idea of love is this spontaneous helping and healing. It's really the opposite of anger and hatred. He is to show this kind and caring love to someone who doesn't want it. And so we have this picture to love this woman who is loved by another, who is an adulterer, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Even as, again, this is a picture. Hosea and Gomer's marriage is meant to be a picture of God and Israel, of the way in which God loves Israel and the way in which Israel does not love God. And Hosea is pictured, he's commanded to go, to love and to protect, to help, and to bring back his wayward wife. And it's this graphic picture of the way in which the Lord does and acts and feels towards Israel, towards his people. And so we see in this marriage that there are already problems coming up. Gomer, like Israel, loves other gods and seeks after what looks to be these treats, these cakes of raisins. Likely these are just delicacies uh, in times of celebration. And it could be here that it's picturing Gomer as celebrating in her adultery, reveling in it just as Israel was reveling in its idolatry, celebrating these feasts and these festivals to false gods. And so Gomer here is pictured as someone who runs away to revel and enjoy her sin. And then verse 2, this is where Hosea goes and does what the Lord has commanded. So I bought her. So he goes after. Hosea is pictured here as, as obeying. And some of the prophets, when, they, he, when they're given commands, they're, they're given jobs to do by God, some of them often question why the Lord is doing what they're doing, why the Lord is doing what he's doing. Ezekiel, when the Lord commands him to do things, questions God and pushes back against him and says, is this really the best thing, the best way for this to happen? But note, with Hosea, he never protests. 
He just does. He gets on with this, what has to be, I think, one of the most difficult jobs that a prophet is asked to do in the scriptures. Because everything else would be things that are dealing with your external, with things outside of you. But here is the problem. It's inside the marriage. His closest companion. Think of the way Proverbs speaks about a good wife versus a bad wife. And obviously you can flip the roles there. A bad husband or a good husband. How the relationship, when things are working well, is great. When they're not, it's really bad. And so here, Gomer, Hosea, let me get my people straight here. Hosea is commanded to go and to bring her back. And he purchases her for 15 shekels of silver and about 270 liters of barley. I don't know the metric system, but it's about 71 gallons. It's a, it's a fair amount of barley. And the question is then, who, who is he paying this to? Who is he giving this money and this food to? Uh, it's possible that he is settling a debt if she's a prostitute. It's possible that he's buying this buying her back from her lover. One commentator said it's even possible that he is giving this to Gomer herself as a bride price in the sense of restoring food and wealth, symbolizing the way in which God will restore Israel. And so I'm not really sure if the text doesn't tell us who he pays this money towards. But the point really is that he's redeeming her. He's ransoming her. And he's doing it with his own money, with his own goods. And this is, again, indicative of what Yahweh will do for his people. He will redeem them. He will bring them back. And think of the ways in which the New Testament fills this out. It's not as if God comes down in order to redeem us by by paying in barley and silver. Rather, he pays in blood. The Lord redeems us by himself becoming a curse. He goes so much further even than Hosea can do. That he lays down his life in order that we might have life. And so finally, Hosea here, as he has brought Gomer back, he commands her. He gives this command to her that now uh, she will remain with him for many days, that she will no longer play the whore or belong to another man, so I also will belong to you. It seems like here that Hosea has, has brought her back, but the relationship still is not fully restored. And you can see that in the ways in which the explanation symbolizes the ways in which Israel's relationship is not fully restored in, chapter, in, in verse 4. That she dwells with Hosea, but it's not uh, as if everything has been paved over just yet. They're more like flatmates rather than husband and wife at this point. This seems to be the picture here, but she will be remaining with Hosea. But then there will come a time where there will be a reconciliation or a remarriage after this divorce or abandonment. That there's estrangement that happens for a time, but then there will be reconciliation. And I believe you see that when we move to verse 4, which is explaining everything that's happening here. Because God says that this picture of you bringing Gomer back will be a picture for the children of Israel, that they will dwell for many days without prince or king, sacrifice or pillar, ephod or household god. 
that they will, they will have this relationship, as it were, unraveled. That Hosea having this wife that runs away is a picture of what God's relationship is with Israel. And again, I think as we think through, and, and Hosea doesn't give us these details of what he's thinking, but nonetheless, I think it's instructive to think through, in the case of Hosea, what would we do in this situation? Why would we keep going after this woman who has no desire to stay and no love in her heart for all that he provides? What motivation does Hosea have to do to keep putting himself through this torment? And again, we come back to it's because it is a picture of God's love. And so Israel here, it's, it's showing that Israel will be exiled, that there is judgment that is coming. Something that Hosea has, has been saying from the beginning that, again, we, we hold in tension these ideas of justice and mercy. And so Israel's pictured here as no longer having leaders, no longer having rituals, and no longer having worship. That the first thing that will happen is that Israel will lose its kings and its princes. If you just said kings, uh, we would just think of the, the monarchy, which will eventually fall. But Hosea goes further, the Lord goes further by adding princes as well, meaning that there's a complete collapse that's coming for Israel, a complete collapse of order. Because in many ways, the, the, the waywardness of Israel was driven by its wicked kings, with very few exceptions. These kings kept driving Israel further and further into idolatry. But not only that, they will also have their sacrifices and their pillars. These rituals of worship will be gone. And here, it's interesting the way in which two things are put together that look like they shouldn't be. Because on the one hand, you have the sacrifices, which are, this is something the Lord has commanded his people to do to make atonement for sins. But then pillars would have been these uh, idolatrous stone pillars set up to worship Baal. So you have this, this, this merging this syncretistic worship here, that God is saying all of this needs to be stopped, that it's rotten at its core, that the people are just, they're mixing what God has commanded with what they want to do. And then we see the same thing happen with that there will be no longer any worship, the ephod and the household gods. And again, this strange mixture, the ephod would have been the, the, the garment that is worn by a priest. This is, would have been a, a priest that was supposed to be working in the temple to, to guide and help the people in the worship of Yahweh. But here it sounds as if this priest is, is helping the people worship these household gods. These would have been the, the little portable kind that you would have had at home. This, this sounds like this incredibly sorry state that Israel found itself in very early on in the promised land, actually all the way back in the book of Judges. In chapter 17 and 18 of Judges, it speaks of a Levite, a Levite who helped facilitates pagan worship. And this was a time that's very much what Israel is going through today, that with no king, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And Israel, in a sense, is almost pictured as if they have come full circle. And now they are back to having no king being basically pagans in their worship. 
And it is instructive to see that the, the mixing of worship, pagan and uh, uh, the worship of Yahweh, mixing them together is still just as bad as worshiping in a pagan way. The Lord commands how he is to be worshipped. And he, doesn't, he, he, does not, he doesn't allow for other ways. And so what we have here is really the end of this section where one, on the one hand we see that God has been threatening. He's been threatening Israel since chapters 1 and 2 that he will take away their false gods, he will take away their economic prosperity, and he will even take the very land from under their feet. That until they learn to trust and to follow him alone. And so it'll be through exile that the Lord will do these things. There's this chastisement of the Lord. But yet notice this. The Lord could have just destroyed them from the face of the earth. And yet what he is doing is he's chastising them as a loving father would. That they are are headed down a path of destruction. And he has been putting barriers in their way. And now he will do what will seem to be the worst thing he could do for them from, from really their perspective. Yet not only do they rightly deserve this punishment, but yet the Lord is using that for those who repent as a pathway of hope. Remember at the end of chapter 2, the valley of trouble becomes a door of hope. And Hosea is just having us deal with this tension between wrath and mercy, between justice and mercy. Because Hosea wants to paint for us a picture, really a picture that we can see God completely. He wants to help us with having lopsided views of God. I think there's, there's two ways, right, you could fall off this path. One of them would be to look at God as if he's only and all mercy. We see that today, right? Those who, who look at God and assume that he is only loving and only merciful and that all he wants is for us to live a life that is happy and pleasing to us. And yet they ignore his white-hot burning anger over sin and rebellion. And so for those who, who, who see God as, as only merciful, need to see his judgment. The fact that here he is angry and he's stripping his people bare in order to promote uh, the idea of repentance so that they are not cast out of his presence forever. Right? Hell is exile with no restoration. No return. And we see the ways in which, as we, we recited the Ten Commandments, much of what Israel will be guilty of is a violation of just those. That it's this reminder that, yes, God is merciful, but ethics and actions and the way that we act are incredibly important to God. But Hosea is also wanting us to, to have another picture of God. He wants to help us to, to not view God as if he is only wrathful. That he is only wrathful and only angry. That he is this somehow vindictive deity that delights in justice and allows no one to come into his presence. Right? That's easy to, to, to read and to see how someone could fall off and view God as only wrathful. But yet Hosea shows that God is not only judge but father and husband. Father. 
There's no way to read Hosea 1, 2, and 3 without seeing the fact that God is deeply merciful and deeply loving. God is never soft on sin. He never condones sin in the lives of his people. But also, on the other hand, he doesn't abandon them. He seeks to restore them through holiness. And so in verse 5, there's again this promise. Afterwards, so after the exile, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. So after Israel is, is brought back, after the people are brought back, there's this change in them. That again, Hosea has been speaking to and bringing up this, this transformation that happens. That instead of seeking Baals and pagan idolatry, they seek God. And then here, there's a, a beautiful picture as well that, that Israel, who is the northern tribes, who has been separated from the Davidic kingdom, would then be reunited under David, their king. Likely picturing a future Messiah from the line of David. That this great king would be the one who would accomplish this true reunification of Israel and Judah. And then the people are, are pictured as those who fear and are full of goodness. This becomes the character of the people as they return. They approach God as those who are fearful of him, of knowing his power, but then simultaneously also knowing that he is good. And this is likely, this, this will happen, Hosea says, in the latter days. And likely Hosea is viewing this as something uh, something cataclysmic, something amazing that will happen in the future. And what we know through the rest of Scripture, there is a sense where this does indeed happen. The, the king the, from the line of David who comes to bring true reconciliation and true holiness and true even reunifying Judah and Israel happens in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been seeing that through the book of Acts the wonderful way in which the unfolding uh, history of the church begins with in Jerusalem with the king who then is bringing in the northern tribes together to form one new people that then reaches out and begins to even bring in those from the ends of the earth. Those who fear and those who come into his goodness. And that through this, Jesus is pictured as the the bridegroom who comes for a bride in order that he may make her holy and he may transform her from the inside out. That these would then be people who were formerly not God's people, now being able to say by the power of the Spirit dwelling in them that they now call God their God and they are his people. That God has made a way for his wayward bride to be holy before him. And he's been the one orchestrating all of it. He's the one who redeems her, who calls her to taste of his goodness and to come by without money or price. And so as we come to the end of this first section in Hosea, we see the the trouble in in Hosea's marriage, that it shows forth our relationship to God without Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, we spurn the one who provides all things. Without Jesus Christ, we we run the other direction for closer, more visible saviors, whether that's money, power, whatever. And without Christ, we just 
are purely consumed with finding our own happiness and our own love. And we, we, we shun the one who is love itself. And yet Hosea constantly has this refrain that God is the one who can redeem, the one who can ransom, the one who runs like the father in the parable of the wayward son, and the one who embraces. Think of the evangelistic ways in which Hosea is presenting this picture of God. He's, he's in a sense, really asking, do you desire this? Do you want to know this? Do you want to have this life? Then come to Jesus. And he says, come with humble hearts and open hands, and he will give you abundant blessings and eternal life, an eternal home and a new family. And for those in Christ, right, this message is just simply God's love for us in Christ Jesus. And again, I think of Paul's words in the beginning of Ephesians, that God the Father predestined you as sons in adoption, for adoption in love. In verses 4 and 5. Think about this. He saved you. If you truly believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, God saved you because he loves you. And he still loves you. And we would do well to be reminded of how unlovable we were and how unuseful we are to God. His love for us isn't, isn't because he, he needs us. His love for us is simply that. He loves us and through that love has saved us and redeemed us and commissions us and uses us to build his kingdom, to share his good news, to really be a part of this great building project of his kingdom. That this kingdom he's building is not bricks and stone, but people and the bride of Christ. So really this evening, brothers and sisters, what Hosea says, what the Lord says, is that you are more loved than you can ever imagine. Amen. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K for more. Thank you.